welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Those of you listening don't realize this, but we're on a whole new distribution system today. Hopefully it's working flawlessly everywhere. Uh, The phone number, if you want to be on the program, hasn't changed, 877-973-7425. And we've got to begin, well, I should begin with UGA versus TCU. Big night in college football, the biggest night of the year. Uh, Most of the schools in my area have late start tomorrow so that kids can stay up all night watching Georgia crush TCU. Uh, But nonetheless, I digress. I want to step back with the fighting that happened over the weekend and just hold the phones for a little bit and just listen to me for a moment. Because I, I can be a little I, more open with you. I try never to keep things from you guys. In, in fact, I, I live my life a little more transparently with you all than a lot of people uh, would prefer that I do. But I have had, for the last several months, friends involved behind the scenes in the fighting. If you will recall, right before Thanksgiving, I stepped out and went up to Washington for three days in a row. And, and one of the stopovers was to a friend's office where the plotting was happening. For the last several weeks, a number of the people who listen to this program, and I, I, I say this lovingly and charitably, but a number of people who listen to this program have been very angry with me. Some have emailed and said they would never listen again because what they were hearing from Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and and other voices on the right on Fox News and the like were all, everybody needs to get in line, there's no way they can win, suck it up, take McCarthy, McCarthy's a conservative, and people bought into it. People chose not to believe me or believe these 20 people, but to believe these other voices on the right who were telling them there was no way they could win, there was no way they could beat McCarthy, uh, what they shouldn't stall this out. It was making people look bad. This was this was disruptive. Uh, this was nihilistic. On and on and on it goes. And I don't want to discredit or disparage these people other than I find that there are people who too often jump immediately to the establishment side of things. And this goes back a long way. It goes all the way back uh, even before this, but one of the most notable ones was during the debt ceiling fight of 2011-2012, the Wall Street Journal ran an official op-ed or editorial board release, editorial calling the conservatives and the House of Representatives hobbits on a chaotic quest, and they wound up winning. And this is a repeat of that. I was one of the very few people privy to the background, to what was going on behind the scenes. These are longtime friends of mine who I have an inordinate amount of trust for, and they have trust in me even when we disagree. And what is most notable is that the the fight that played out played out almost exactly to the script. What you need to understand is something I've been telling you all for a couple of weeks now. They found Kevin McCarthy's key weakness. 
And they did not, unlike the establishment, unlike the McCarthyites, unlike uh, the others, they didn't have reporters in the room. They didn't talk to reporters. They didn't talk to the press. They didn't engage with the press. They didn't try to explain their side. I have tried to explain it to all of you. And some have emailed me angrily or reached out to me on social media angrily and said, what I'm saying is completely different from what everyone else is saying. Therefore, I must be the one who is wrong. In fact, the reason the others were saying things completely different to what actually happened and the way it played out is because they didn't have sources in the room with the conservatives. And I did. Because I was in the room. I have friends in the room, and they don't trust the media. They don't trust Fox News. They don't trust Hannity or Ingram. They don't trust any of these people. They have trust with those who have been in the trenches fighting with them and for them for years. It was really disappointing to see, listen to talk radio voices, voices on Fox News, conservative pundits attack these guys, throw them under the bus. They had no idea what was going on. And and this group wasn't going to share because in the past they've learned their lesson when they share things. Some of the people who claim to be conservatives and maybe are, they leak to leadership. You had for the past two weeks, Charlie Kirk out there attacking these guys as buffoons and morons saying they needed to side with Kevin McCarthy, his uh, radio empire that he's a part of, every single host in that corporation was in the tank for McCarthy, probably by corporate line. And so if you listen to these guys, you came away with a very negative impression of these 20. And again, it's very important for you to realize the reason is because this 20 people did not have anyone in the room with them that they didn't trust. And I'm fortunate they trusted me because many of them are very longtime friends of mine. I have been friends with some of these guys longer than I've been in talk radio. And they early on identified Kevin McCarthy's key weakness. And you've heard me say it to you several times. It's been right there in your face and you might not have realized it. Kevin McCarthy's key weakness is that he has perverted Calvin Coolidge's rule. Calvin Coolidge's rule is my management philosophy. When you see 10 troubles bounding down the road, nine of the 10 of them are going to bounce off the road before they get to you. Just stand still. McCarthy has taken that to a perverse degree Knowing something is coming, waiting until it arrives and a crisis occurs, and then trying to ram through his desires. And these 20 and those who advised them knew that was his Achilles heel. When it comes to the debt ceiling, when it comes to government shutdowns, there's a date certain. You know when we're up against the debt ceiling. You can put it on the calendar. The Treasury Department gives Congress the data so they know we need to have the debt ceiling increase by this date. They know with continuing resolutions when they expire, how long they're funded, how many days they have until the next one needs to be passed. And Kevin McCarthy waited. He always waits. Going back to his days as whip, he's been a bad counter. He's always been a bad counter. 
And he's also waited until the crisis arrives and then made his demand. You must do as I say. You must now do this thing I want you to do or the government shuts down or we default on the national debt and it's going to be our fault. We're going to get the blame. You've got to do this. Here's these thousands of pages. You don't have time to read it. Don't read it. Don't pay attention to it. Pass it. Pass it. Pass it. That's what Kevin McCarthy has always done. After the election, Kevin McCarthy made no outreach to the House Freedom Caucus. He, he didn't. He didn't make any outreach at all. And they knew, this group did, that McCarthy was going to take them for granted. And they knew he would wait until the day of the vote. January 3rd. It's a date certain. It's in the Constitution. January 3rd. He would wait until that day. He would rush them to the floor. See, this is inevitable. You got to do it. We, we can't let the Democrats get the upper hand. Do you want a Democratic speaker? The moderates may go with the Democrats. We, we got to do this. That's what you heard on Fox News. That's what you heard from conservative commentators. That's what you heard from the pundits. It was Kevin McCarthy's internal line that these people were parroting. And the conservatives knew it wasn't true. And they knew Kevin McCarthy would wait until January 3rd. And they knew because he would wait until January 3rd, they had two months to figure out all of their demands. And they demanded a lot. And they also knew something else, something that only in the last couple of days of this voting series did other people start talking about. Kevin McCarthy wanted the title. And he did not care how he had to get it. He wanted the title. He didn't care what he had to do. He wanted the title. They knew all of these things. There was a lot of deliberation. There was a lot of consideration. There was a lot of conversation. They knew all these things. And they got every single thing they wanted. They have fundamentally changed how the House of Representatives will deal with the budget. They have fundamentally changed the representation of the Rules Committee. The Rules Committee is that committee by which they allow or disallow legislation to the floor of the House, and they set the parameters by which the legislation will be um, voted on. Byron Donalds of Florida will now be a conservative's conservative on that committee. The first time a member of the House Freedom Caucus has been allowed on the Rules Committee, and he's not alone. Two others will be there. They have set up a super committee under the Judiciary Committee that will be chaired by Jim Jordan to investigate uh, the deep state, the national security apparatus, the FBI. It's all there. And it will be funded to the same budgetary allotment as the January 6th committee. It's all there. They got that too. All of these things they got. All of these things are wins. And all of these things were plotted and planned for months. And today, what are we left with? We're left with uh, the McCarthy people saying, well, it was all Donald Trump. Donald Trump gets credit, not these conservatives. Donald Trump made last-minute phone calls and persuaded these guys to get on board. Actually, those guys are denying that's the case. None of them are saying Donald Trump persuaded them. He certainly called and tried, but it wasn't persuasive to them. All these things worked. 
the McCarthy people are trying to give everybody credit except the conservatives. And that's okay. The conservatives don't need or want the credit. What they have and what has happened is they proved who the real fighters are. One of the ones who's all show and no fight, familiar to people here in Georgia. Well, here's what happened. I came into Congress and, you know, uh, Kevin and I, we had some public uh, confrontations, or not necessarily confrontations, but said things about one Mm -hmm. another. But I did something that I wish more members of Congress would do. I started talking to Kevin McCarthy, and I went and met with him and got to know him better and got to understand where where he sees the conference going, what he sees our agenda and what we should do. And that's why I came around a lot sooner than 20 of my Freedom Caucus colleagues. But listen, here's the great news. I'm glad they came around this past week. Mm-hmm. So what you saw them do, uh, learn to trust them and, and have faith in the plan going forward, I was able to do that over the past year. But I hope more, more of my colleagues do that. When- that's some really rich spin by Marjorie Taylor Greene that she learned to trust him before. They they didn't learn to trust him. They cut a deal and got enforcement mechanisms in the deal. She's spinning her way out of trouble. She jumped into Kevin McCarthy's lap on day one. They stuck around and fought it out with her attacking them. With her attacking them. Ha- she will benefit from the wins they got. And then there's Dan Crenshaw, who called these Republican members terrorists. And I believe him when he says he was trying to make that deal throughout the week, but he's one of the few. There was no reason for us to keep voting, keep voting, keep, keep, keep allowing these speeches that just degraded and diminished and insulted Kevin McCarthy. We didn't have to keep doing that. We could have just adjourned for the whole week and just kept negotiating. Yeah. And so, so that's where the heartburn is. And, and you know, that's what I want people to know. This deal was easy. That, that wasn't the hard part, right? There, there, there's not as much disagreement as everyone thinks on, on how that rules package went by and, and what some of the new changes needed to be. And the only thing I'll disagree with this group on is, is that it could have been done earlier. And so that's what justifies the animosity that occurred all week. It, it, sure. it seemed very, very pointless. Except what Dan Crenshaw misses is that that's on McCarthy, not on them. They tried. They reached out. He refused. Crenshaw doesn't want to even acknowledge that. Crenshaw, he says at, at the beginning that, that he, he he's, he's talking about Chip Roy there, that he appreciates Chip Roy was one of the few who really wanted to negotiate. Chip Roy tried to negotiate. Well, in advance of this, tried to head it off, but they knew McCarthy wouldn't because they knew McCarthy's habits. They knew McCarthy waits until the crisis arrives and then demands everyone do what he wants. And this time they all agreed behind the scenes they would not do it. And it is amazing to me how few of the pundit class on the right and in the media on Fox News and talk radio and the like even understood what was happening. They just fell in line behind Kevin McCarthy. There was a time the conservative voices stood up to their own side. In the last few years, they've just become mouthpieces for leadership. we got to get back to being willing to stand up and hold our own side accountable. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. 
even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with the free five-minute questionnaire at refunds with an s refundspro.com that's refunds with an s pro.com well in response to all of the fighting last week uh congressman dan crenshaw has just lost out he wanted to be chairman of homeland security uh and he has lost out to mark green congressman from tennessee oof Uh, a little more audio from over the weekend uh chip roy was on with jake tapper on CNN, and I got to at least commend Jonah Goldberg and a few others on CNN who, though belittling in some comments about some of these 20, they all praised Chip Roy, understanding he really, truly, actually cares about this stuff and really did want these big wins. Uh, This is Chip Roy. Writers are kind of going through it and kind of holding everybody together. We got to get through the rules on Monday, uh, and we're going through the steering process of getting folks on committees. But but for example, when we say we want it, and, we, and, and Jake, we put out a list in what, December 8th, trying to say, hey, here's what we think we need to tra- transform this place. Here's what we need to see in any speaker. And so we've been out and open about that. But I want to make clear, this isn't about trying to, I, Chip Roy wants a spot on a committee. I haven't been promised anything, literally. I've, I've got nothing out of this deal for me personally. Does that mean I might end up on rules committee? Maybe, if that's what the, my colleagues want. We still have to go through that process. But what we have extracted are promises from the speaker to make sure that we have ideological diversity and representation among these uh, committees. Appropriations. There are two Freedom Caucus members out of 33 that are likely to be in the majority. So think about that. Mm-hmm. HFC is 20% of the body, yet two of 33 appropriators. The Rules Committee. It's always a struggle to get anybody on there who's going to push back in the Rules Committee about, wait, why are we jamming a bill through that nobody's read? Right. So let's, let's get representation on these committees. And um, and it's not about petty personal desires. I don't want to be on the rules committee. I don't right. want to leave my family on Sunday night and miss my kids to come up here. But I might do it if that's what my colleagues decide. One more from Chip Roy. But we need to put limits on spending and then get to the table. You have to do that at home, Jake. I have to do that at home. Every American has to do that. If we don't stop spending money we don't have, I promise you, we will never sit at a table. Colin Allred, who's going to be on here in a little bit that I was talking to in the green room, uh, Colin and I need to be able to sit at a table and figure out how we're going to fix this for the country. Yeah. We can't do that if the leaders jam through $1.7 trillion omnibus bills like happened in December, right. where we have no debate on the floor. We have to open this debate up, offer amendments, do our work, limit spending within our means, and then move for the country forward. Amen, amen, and amen. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, phone lines are open and we've got to move on to other controversies. This is fascinating to me. Buckle up for this one. Uh, This is in the New York Times, which I was kind of surprised to see it in the New York Times. A lecturer showed a painting of the Prophet Muhammad. She lost her job. This is 
I'm actually very interested in this story, and you should be too. I'll explain why. Let me read part of this for you. Erica Lopez Prater, an adjunct professor at Hamline University, said she knew many Muslims have deeply held religious beliefs that prohibit depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. So last semester, for a global art history class, she took many precautions before showing a 14th century painting of Islam's founder. In the syllabus, she warned that images of holy figures, including the Prophet Muhammad and the Buddha, would be shown in the course. She asked students to contact her with any concerns and said no one did. In class, she prepped students, telling them that in a few minutes the painting would be displayed in case anyone wanted to leave. Then Dr. Lopez Prater showed the image and lost her job. Officials at Hamline, a small private university in St. Paul, Minnesota, with about 1,800 undergraduates, had tried to douse what they feared would become a runaway fire. Instead, they ended with what they tried to avoid, a national controversy which pitted academic freedom advocates and free speech activists against Muslims. After Dr. Prater showed the image, a senior in the class complained to the administration. That's right. The senior student waited. The senior student was given every opportunity to leave. In a December interview with the school paper, the student who complained to the administration, Aram Watatala, describing blindsided by the image. I'm like, this can't be real. Ms. Wadala, who is a public for, in a public forum, described herself as Sudanese. As a Muslim and black person, I don't feel like I belong, and I don't think I'll ever belong in a community where they don't value me as a member, and they don't share the same respect that I have. Really. Now, interestingly, has this been changed? Because... That's right. Um, it looks like it looks like it has been. Ch- hang on a second. Um, nope, 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 nope. They waited. They they buried it in the story. This is okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. This this is. So let, let me um. Well, let me let me break down. Let me give you the so they they gave the initial outline, and then there's this. Dr. Lopez Prater, a self-described art nerd, said she knew about the potential for conflict on October sixth when she began her online lecture with thirty students. She spent a few minutes explaining why she was showing the image, how different religions have depicted the divine, and how standards change over time. I do not want to present the art of Islam as something that's monolithic, she said in an interview. She showed a second image from the 16th century, which depicted Muhammad wearing a veil. Dr. Lopez Prater said no one in the class raised concerns. There was no disrespectful commentary. After the class ended, Ms. Watatala, a business major and president of the Muslim Student Association, stuck around to voice her discomfort. 
What's so fascinating is that the university actually said that not offending Muslims trumps free speech and academic freedom. The vice president for inclusive excellence said that it was undeniably inconsiderate, disrespectful, and Islamophobic. And then they discouraged other professors from speaking out on behalf of the administration, on behalf of the teacher. All right. The painting, by the way, is called a compendium of, uh, it's in a compendium of Chronicles. It is a picture of the angel Gabriel delivering revelation to the prophet Muhammad. It was painted um, by a Persian painter. It is considered a masterpiece of Persian painting. It is well known, and it was an effort, ironically, to quote-unquote decolonize the art canon. Oh, I'm not making that up. So there's a larger story here. There are several angles here. First of all, let's look at the student. So the professor advised everyone in the syllabus that this would happen, told them all that during the class, paintings of Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, and others would be shown, and said that no one would be penalized if they were uncomfortable and they did not have to come to classes on those days and they would be given warning. So then on the day of, she tells everyone again, you don't have to be here. You don't have to come. You don't have to see it. You won't be punished. If you don't want to stay, here it comes. Get ready. Now's your chance. Just like there are times on this radio program where I know I'm about to discuss something that some of you have kids and some of the kids are in your car and they may be uncomfortable. And so I say, I'm going to talk about something. Let me give you the countdown from five. You can change the channel. Come back in five minutes. She did all of those things, and then the student stayed and then complained. The president of the Muslim Student Association. And what did the president of the Muslim Student Association say? She said she could not believe that something like this happened. As a Muslim and as a black person, I don't feel that I belong, and I don't think I'll ever belong in a community where they don't value me as a member and they don't show the same respect I show for them. They allowed you to leave. They allowed you to not participate without penalty. And there are some out there I know who will say, but... I mean, that put her in a bad position for her to have to leave. She shouldn't have to embarrass herself. Oh, no, the professor gave notice in advance. Kids didn't have to show up that day. She could have just not shown up along with other students who didn't show up. She wanted to be offended because she wanted the outrage. She wanted to make a spectacle. And the administration humored them. The administration had the protesters back. And the administration decided lack of offense was more important than academic freedom. Now, here's the common thread here. 
if that professor had come into the room, put a crucifix on the floor, dropped her pants, and peed on Jesus, not a thing would have happened had she followed the same procedure, told everyone this was going to happen, told them the day of they didn't have to come, gave them warning, I'm about to drop trow and pee on Jesus. You can leave if this will offend you. If someone stayed and was offended, you'd know darn well the administration would have done nothing. The only difference is that Christians don't chop off heads and blow people up. That's what this is all about, ultimately. If we're really honest about it, that's what this is about. They don't want to provoke the ire of Islamic radicals coming to that school. They're scared. This is driven not by offense but by fear. But they mask it behind the fence, and this student knows she can play the game. This isn't about academic freedom. This is about fear of Islamic radicals. They know what happened to Charlie Hebdo for drawing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, but they can't be honest about that. There's something else here as well. The things of the world hate the things of God. And the things of the world treasure the things of the world. There's no way they could have gotten away with there's no way this would have happened if it was a picture of Jesus. But Muhammad, a religion of the world, and the world together have each other's back. Oh, yeah, of course there's a theological point here. But the other issue here is that this, this transcends this particular college. There is this idea on certain college campuses these days that students shouldn't have to be challenged or offended and that is making for weak minds. You're going to be offended in life. There is no right for you not to be offended. You should be challenged on a college campus. It should not be that conservative Christians are the only people who get to be challenged on a college campus. Everyone should be challenged. And one of the failures of academia in America today is the ongoing idea that no child should be pushed and no child should be made uncomfortable in a collegiate setting. It has made for soft, weak-minded fools. And this college has given into this. I wonder how much longer this college will last if it doesn't reverse course it's down to 1,800 students. I bet tuition is outrageous. I bet it is. One of those academically privileged private schools. And by the way, this is a completely private institution. So good luck suing, Professor. You didn't even have tenure. Of course, they can fire you. Academic freedom isn't bound within the legal structure. It's bound within the fabric of the society. And our, our society's fabric crumbles. So does academic freedom. Academic freedom for you and not for me. And then this last thing. And this is kind of the deep irony here. As you know, there are sects of Muslims that display the Prophet Muhammad. They don't think it's idolatrous. There are some branches of, of Islam that don't because they're afraid that the Prophet himself might be worshipped instead of God. Muhammad is not considered a deity. He's just considered a prophet. I think people in the West who are unfamiliar to some degree with Islam, they, they forget this. They, they don't realize this. They don't worship the Prophet Muhammad. He's just considered the Prophet. 
And so they don't – some sects of Islam, particularly Sunni Islam, they don't want pictures of uh, the Prophet Muhammad because they don't want him venerated in any way. That, that's the whole point here. But some other sects of Islam, they don't care. And what this college has done is it has taken a stand and picked one side of the fight. It has taken a stand and chosen which side of Islam it's going to stand with. It has doctrinally decided on a side in a matter among people of, of the Muslim faith something that is in dispute. And the people at the academic administrative level of the school have no idea. They have no idea. I don't know that they even care. But they're decided to humor the wokes and the outrage crowd, which means it's only going to fester. It's only going to get worse. When you give in, it only it, it, it gets worse. Um. What is it? Chris Collinsworth, uh, NBC. He's the the Sunday night anchor uh, for football. One of the hardest working men in TV. I was reading a report on the amount of prep that he does and how he does prep for everyone else. Uh, he said something a while back. It, it gave some people offense. Some people were offended. NBC stood by him, which was great. Um, Billy Bush the other day uh, made a joke off air on on Extra, the the TV show. Uh, made a made a, a joke off air. It was a, a somewhat crude joke. Someone recorded it, leaked it to the press, trying to get him fired. And extra went after the leaker. They didn't they didn't attack him for the supposedly inappropriate crude joke. They attacked the leaker. That's the way you're supposed to do it. That's the way the game should be played. You can't give in to these people, and that this university did is a sign the university itself is probably in collapse. I will say it again. If you want to fight the wokes, the way you fight them is to ignore them and not play their game. Every corporation in America, every academic institution in America, every politician in America, and you and me should not play their game. They should be made to be the butt of our jokes. And that's how you're supposed to treat them. Now, I want you to treat yourself to the Eden Pure Thunderstorm three-pack. You can get three of them for less than $200. A buddy of mine actually texted me yesterday, said his he and his wife, they bought a lake house, and the prior order smoked in the house. And so the house still smells like cigarette smoke. It was like, yeah, you should totally get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Get, get the three-pack. You can put one upstairs, one downstairs. Uh, you can spread them out. You get an extra one. You can put it in the house as well. You get three of these for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You get three of them, and they wipe out odors. They are odor eaters. I keep one with me when I travel. You can run it in a car. You can run it in a hotel room. You can run it in a house. It wipes out pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors, the cigar odors in your car, assuming you've blown cigar smoke in your car, <clears throat> and it, the fry odors in your kitchen. It works. Get three of them. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3. E-R-I-C-K-3. Go to EdenPureDeals.com today. Put Eric 3 in. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this year program, I am delighted to have you with me. Um, let's see here. We got other stuff. We got to move on. I got a lot more. Oh, I know this is actually kind of important. We now know from the leaks 
from the Twitter files. Newly released documents show the White House played a major role in censoring Americans on social media. Email exchanges between Rob Flaherty, the White House Director of Digital Media, and social media executives prove the companies put COVID censorship policies in place in response to relentless coercive pressure from the White House, not voluntarily. The emails emerged January 6th in the discovery phase of Missouri versus Biden, a free speech case brought by the attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana and four private plaintiffs represented by the new Civil Liberties Alliance. On March 14th, 2021, Mr. Flaherty emailed a Facebook executive with the subject line, you are hiding the ball, and a link to a Washington Post article about Facebook's own research into the spread of ideas that contribute to vaccine hesitancy, as the paper put it. I think there's a misunderstanding, the executive wrote back. I don't think this is a misunderstanding, Mr. Flaherty replied. We are gravely concerned that your service is one of the top drivers of vaccine hesitancy, period. We want to know that you are trying. We want to know how we can help, and we want to know that you are not playing a shell game This would be a lot easier if you would just be straight with us. They put government pressure on these social media companies. And you can certainly say, well, the social media companies should have stood strong and said no. But would you really, when the president of the United States and all his power comes down on you, the antitrust investigations, the FTC investigations, all of them, you really going to stand strong against this stuff? I doubt you are. I doubt you are. They did not. And this is about the Biden administration, not the social media companies. For all of Twitter's flaws, it's actually kind of clear to me in a lot of the revelations that uh, the Biden administration and Democrats were pressuring Twitter to shut down a lot of people. And Twitter resisted a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it. Some of it it engaged in maliciously. Yes, absolutely. But we should also note there were ample there's ample evidence that a lot of it was inordinate pressure from the Democrats and the Biden administration promising hell on earth against these companies if they didn't comply. That is wrong. And more lawsuits should follow on this stuff against these people.